0: Welcome to Your Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to you. The podcast dedicated to providing you with tips, tricks, and resources to live a life you want. We're all going to live a life. The question is, what are you going to do with that life? Your Next Chapter provides with people who are living rad and inspirational lives to gain insights from to conquer the next chapter of your life. Whether you want to start a business, a new career, get in the best shape of your life, or create better routines and structure for yourself. Your next chapter provides you with guests to help you draw inspiration, insight, and wisdom from to lead the life you want. Thank you for tuning in. In front of me, I have Connor Beaton. Connor is the founder of Mantox, which is an incredible community here out of Vancouver. Mantox believes in equality, integrity, authenticity, purpose, and strives to provide a space for men to become better human beings and fathers. I'm going to throw it over to Connor right now. He's going to tell you a little more about who he is and what he does. Yeah. First off, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate
1: uh, being here. And, and uh, you know, I just I hope that this this adds value
0: to all the listeners and and, and hopefully yourself. And yeah. So thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming. I really do appreciate you sitting down and taking the time to uh, be here. So yeah. Thanks for that. Of course. Um, yeah. So man talks. It really. You know what we want to do is, is redefine the way that
1: people think about men, people think that, about masculinity, and, and take a take a closer look at themselves. And how we do that is, um, you know, we find men that are making a difference in the world, men that are um, true to their purpose in integrity, you know, doing their best to be to be their best, what, you know, best version, right? And whether that's being the best father or husband, uh, best business owner, business leader, Uh, all of those types of things Um, and and we find them and we give them the space to share their journey and share their message Uh, you know the the funny thing is is that if you if you went back a couple hundred years or a thousand years um, men were generally pretty communal and how we actually learned how we transitioned from boyhood to real manhood was by sitting around campfires and uh, you know just sitting around in general in, in circles and learning from our elders and learning from the people that had become experts that, you know, a while back they didn't really have a word expert, but, but you know, who were experts in hunting, or experts in gathering, experts in, um, you know, parenting, and all, all those types of things. And, and so that's how we actually learned. And you know, some, in some way, shape, or form, we've kind of gotten away from that over the last little while, and, uh, and this is just pulling it back to that. It's really about learning from exceptional men, exceptional human beings. And uh, and and that's that's what we do in a nutshell. So we do that in event form. Uh, we have a podcast, and uh, we have a blog series, uh, and and we just we just find guys that are doing epic shit, really. And and some of them, uh, a lot of the guys actually nobody's ever heard of. Um, I really I really love finding men that are kind of like uh, diamonds in the rough. There's there's an Aladdin reference written from the first five minutes, but diamonds in the rough that. Maybe nobody's ever heard of, um, but that are community shapers, right? These guys that are really um, making a difference in
0: in their in their community, uh, and then giving them the space to share that. I think you've done a great job with that. I've been to a few of your events, and you've really done a great job of creating a space where you know people can feel comfortable to show up, and also identifying some really interesting men. And I think there's a lot of people that have great stories to share, and part of the reason why I started a podcast is to capture some of those stories. And really bring that forward. Before we dive into a little more into Man Talks, um, give the audience a little bit of context about where you came from. I believe you were trained as an opera singer, so kind of like paint a little bit of the journey of how you got to Man Talks and kind of like how it all began. Because you come from a very different background, so now that you're here, I'd like to know a little more. It's and that really fascinates me. Is that trance led you here? Sure. Yeah. Um, Oh man,
1: I'll I'll have to give you like the Cole's notes version, but it's kind of funny. Like you know, the the whole idea of this podcast is you know about making that that shift, and it's funny that you invited me here. And when you invited me, I was like, oh, this is so perfect. Um, You know, because I am in this big transitionary period right now where uh, I'm stepping out of my you know corporate job with the company that I work for right now and and into my own uh, into my own stuff so like into man talks Uh, so it's kind of perfect timing (laughs) Um, but in terms of my background um, I was born and raised in Alberta I grew up in outside of Edmonton in in a small town called St. Albert played a lot of hockey Um, really was like one of those creative kids like I had ADD or was you know quote unquote diagnosed with ADD and I was a really um, hyperactive kid like I had a A ton of energy. And, you know, this was back in the 80s, late 80s, where ADD was becoming like a buzzword, right? And it was becoming like this thing where, you know, people got to diagnose and give out drugs, and it was like this problem that had never existed before that somebody found, and by found, you know, they probably just made it up um, and was like, well, this is what it is. Um, And, so that, that was a very like interesting interesting time, I came out of high school, I barely passed, I actually had to go back uh, and redo English, um, which I had failed in, in high school, and redo math, Math 30, uh, which was like the, the normal math in, in high school, and it's not that I was bad at them, it was just that I, I wasn't interested, and I couldn't pay attention, and it was funny because I went into university and took an English class and got straight A's. And it was just like, it was so funny because when my perspective shifted, uh, everything shifted along with it, right? So um, anyway, so got out of high school, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, like most teenagers. Uh, Went and worked construction because that's what you do in Alberta. Um, There's lots of construction jobs and oil jobs and hated that, absolutely hated it. Um, Got offered um, a chance to go and uh, I was in quality control for aggregates and... Uh, concrete and stuff like that, and the company that I was working for actually offered to pay for half of my education to go do geotechnical engineering, and um, I just kind of saw like my life flash before me. Right, it was kind of like paved out, and all of a sudden I was like forty or fifty years old, and I was miserable with the job that I that I had, and and I kind of had like fallen into a rut. And everything in my body, like my intuition, my gut was just like, hell no, do not do that. Like, even though they're, they're offering you a, a, a good chance to, to go to school, uh, it's not something that you want to do, so just don't do it. And that was the first time that my intuition kind of kicked in and, and kind of pointed me in the right direction. And so with
0: that in mind, I was like, okay, if it's not going to be that, what am I going to do? I want to interrupt here for a second. Like, Did you feel like when you went to school, like, was it kind of like a social pressure? Was it kind of like, this is what people do. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm kind of curious to know, like, when you had been labeled as ADD, like, how did that impact your lens, right? Because there's definitely people I've read about, like, I just like, read Elon Musk's book, and he talked about how there are certain classes he failed, right? And it was simply because he was bored. Yep. And it's like when he applied himself to, like, science and physics, like, of course he aced it, right? But he said a lot of school, like, he just failed because he just didn't have an interest for it. So how much that conditioning of school saying you're a failure in these subjects, which I would imagine would have a very positive impact on your self-esteem, how did that affect you and the decisions you made kind of coming out of school and going to university? Because I feel that would have shaped a lot of the choices you would have made at that point. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was, you know, I
1: was an average student at best in, in school. And, uh, and a lot of my teachers were of the, of the mind that I was just a, an, average, an average kid. Um, I did have a few teachers along the way that were like, you know, you, you can do more than what you're doing. You just need to apply yourself. You need to focus. Um, but as, you know, a rambunctious, creative kid, I just couldn't focus. I, or I thought that I couldn't focus because, um, you know, it, it was actually in elementary. Like, I was in grade five when I got, you know, diagnosed with ADD. Um, and, and as a kid, when you're like 10 or 11, you know, and somebody's telling you, you, you have a problem and you can't focus and that's going to impact you for the rest of your life, that, that makes an imprint, right? And so that kind of set me up for grade seven, uh, sorry, grade six and then grade seven when I transitioned into junior high. And that really, that really kind of created a piece of my identity
0: that I then carried with me. Well, that makes an impact, right? That shapes you, like when somebody says you're never going to be so good at something, it's like you start yeah. carrying that baggage forward with you and you really have to at some point, you know, transcend that when you kind of gain that awareness. Yeah, exactly. So,
1: you know, I, all of a sudden I was uh, the rambunctious kid and I, I played on that. Um, so if anything, it actually probably got a little bit worse once, once that sort of like diagnosis had happened because... I then labeled myself based on you know somebody else's uh, opinion on the fact that I you know was couldn't focus and you know and then I turned into the into the proverbial class clown, uh, which I just read a scientific study about showing that um, the quote unquote class clowns are of, often um, they're really like the highly intelligent ones. Not to like be arrogant and <laughs> be like I'm super smart. Um, Listen to me, I'm the smartest one here. Yeah, but statistically it actually shows that. Uh, that IQ from an IQ level, the the class clown actually has uh, a really good amalgamation between IQ and EQ because they're able to socially engage people while being extremely intellectual at the same time. And and if they could find ways to actually focus that into one area, they would be highly successful. So somebody like Elon Musk, you know, he just needed a conduit or or an avenue to actually focus that energy. Um, and I was able to start doing that, but not until... It, it took me a long time. It took me a long time. So, I mean, I did everything after high school. Like I sold vacuums for a month and a half, which was a joke. And it was hilarious. And they were $3,000 vacuums. Uh, and uh, I, mean, I I just, I tried it all. And, you know, so when I, when I got into construction, it was kind of like, well, maybe this is it for me. Because if, if I'm not book savvy, um, society taught me that school was everything and so if I'm not book savvy then I'll never really be successful so why bother trying and you know when I got into construction I was a hard worker I was a big guy I was really strong right like I was 6'2 at the time I was working out a lot so I was like 220 230 and I was, I was a big kid and um, and that seemed to fit right I could just use my my physical uh, attributes and and be successful but it really wasn't what I wanted to do and it was funny like I remember having a conversation with my dad and we were chatting and this whole thing had happened where they had asked me whether or not I uh, wanted to go do geotechnical engineering and sign a contract with the company for five years after getting out of the getting out of school and you know my dad just looked at me and he's like you know will you ever even be happy doing that and I said well I'll have a good paying job and he's like okay that doesn't actually mean that you'll be happy. Will you actually be happy doing that? And I said, no. And he's like, okay, well maybe it's time to start exploring things that actually do make you happy. And he said, what what actually makes you happy? And I said, well, I, I love music. And it's something that I had never explored. I I'd never taken singing lessons. I would never played the piano. I didn't know music. Like I knew nothing about music. And I was like a 19 year old kid. And, uh, and he's like, why don't you just go try? Like what's, what's gonna, what's gonna happen, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen, and, and so I did, and I was one of those
0: kids that, like, did you ever listen to Michael Jackson? A little bit, I wouldn't say it's in my top arsenal of music knowledge. That's okay, that's okay, I'm sure there's a ton of listeners out there that are like, yes, Michael
1: Jackson, Um, but I was that kid that had, like, the double cassette player, and I would, like, listen to Michael Jackson on one, and then I would have a blank cassette in the other one, and I would record myself trying to sing Michael Jackson, thank God nobody has those tapes anywhere, hopefully. Um, Like that was me, Like I was really passionate and creative and I loved being outside and I just like, I was very very creative, but I never really explored that avenue. And so uh, upon having that conversation, I was like, okay, screw it, I might as well. Uh, And so I just started going to have lessons and I had my first lesson and the teacher was really encouraging and she was like, you have a natural talent for, for singing and you should probably pursue jazz or classical opera. And, um, I always knew that I had a little bit of a voice, but I had never really let it, let it out of the bag. Um, and yeah, so I started pursuing that. I, I went to uh, like a college night class and started learning the notes, you know, on the piano and started learning some basic music theory. Cause like I said, I, I didn't know
0: Jack. <laughs> and at that point, like, did you like did you know you were happier like you had kind of gone through school and high school and university and then you know you're doing construction and talk about geothermal and then it's like did you realize that like you know that was i don't want to use the word wrong but you kind of like had stumbled onto something it's like you kind of found something that you were passionate about and like the energy whatever it was like did you know at that point that you kind of you were on something yeah absolutely um again that that intuition that sort of like gut feeling that i had
1: um was just saying yes you know it's it's kind of funny. Like it was just, it was just a feeling. It was, it wasn't really an intellectual process at that time. I wasn't hugely self-aware. I didn't ask like really deep, meaningful questions about myself or my life or, or life in general. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, partying and like most twenty-year-olds do in Alberta. It was a lot of partying and drinking and hanging out with friends and video games and, um, and just having a really good time and not giving, not giving a shit about life and not really worrying too
0: much. Can't yeah, you can swear. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We've talked about suicide and drugs on the podcast. Okay, so well, there you go. I had Brock Tully on here, and so okay. we really got into it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah so there you know, go. There, there's This is not a PG podcast. Okay, so not like, yeah.
1: Um But, yeah, you know, it was just, like, this feeling. Like, we all have that feeling. Like, we all know when we go and do something, it just feels good. Like, we, it's just an inherent thing. We all know when something feels good or feels bad. Mm-hmm. And... It's funny because a lot of people will deprave themselves of the things that feel good because they don't feel like they deserve it and I've worked with guys that that have that that really have these like limiting beliefs um, that they don't deserve the things that make them feel good and and it's sad and, and and there's a lot of people out there that that do that and you know for me, I kind of got to tap into starting to do some of the things that I really loved and started to break down some of those limitations and and listen to that like little voice you know that that into that intuitive voice that was like yeah okay you like this you've always
0: enjoyed this why not go for it like just go for it just just try it you know what's interesting i was just listening to a podcast with kevin costner and tim ferris and so kevin costner is telling his story about how he got into acting he actually got into it really late and it's actually kind of almost your story He, he was a framer and basically he was framing houses And he had this pickup truck and he would just go frame at night, or during the day, and then basically he would at night go and audition, right? Mm -hmm. And the first time he started going auditions, he said he felt excited again. Like his life was kind of like on autopilot, dull, like not going anywhere. And then he started acting and it was like he felt alive for the first time again. And that was really the feeling when he knew he was like, I'm on to something. And that's when he really pursued it and started going with it until it kind of became his career. Yeah. I mean, hopefully I wasn't the Kevin Costner of opera. But <laughs> <laughs> not to not Kevin Costner, because I actually
1: love the guy. But um, yeah, it's, it's totally true. Like once you once you tap into that, like I was definitely, I was lost and I, I was definitely, you know, damaged in some ways and, and wasn't really too sure what to do. And once I started tapping into that, it definitely, my life came alive. You know, it, it started to pull me out of this dark, space that I had been in, um, and, you know, not that that dark space would go away for a while, because it, it really stayed with me for, for quite a long time, um, but it, it started to pull me in the right direction, and I think the cool thing about about transitions and, you know, this idea of finding your next chapter, it, it's never like an overnight thing, right? I mean, you might make the decision, right? I, I made the decision to pursue singing long before I classified myself as an opera singer long before I made my first paycheck singing singing opera. Um and it was a process, but I made that decision a long time before and then it was a lot of small steps and big steps and risks and um calculated risks and, and asking the right questions. So yeah, so it was it was it was interesting. And then next thing I next thing I knew I was twenty-three and you know I had spent time learning about music and uh basically going to to college in in the winter and learning about music theory um, and just kind of seeing whether or not it was something that I actually wanted to pursue. You know, like, was it a possibility? It's almost like I needed to build up and accrue enough evidence to show me that that was actually a possibility, to show me that I could do something different. And the more that I stepped into that, the more that I believed it was possible. And so finally, after a couple of years of... You know, voice lessons. Working in the gravel pit in northern Alberta for you know a week, and then going to have a lesson on the weekend, and uh, and then rinsing, repeating the cycle, um, and and some education in there. Uh, I decided that I should go audition, and so I auditioned for UBC and U of T and I got into both both programs, and they're the top ranked uh, music schools in Canada, especially for opera. And um, I mean, how do you not? to Vancouver between those two options not because Toronto there's anything wrong with Toronto but Vancouver's just like as an Alberta boy I came here and I was like this is astounding because I had to fly out to audition Right. and just being on the west coast I was like man I feel like I found home um, and so I just again listened to that, that intuitive voice that gut feeling and uh, accepted into UBC and got advanced placement because I had taken a couple theory classes so I got placement into second year uh, my bachelor's degree, um, and was fortunate enough to to have some funding, and had saved up some money and all that kind of stuff, and just uh, made the transition, and, and the best part of it was that I'd never really had like, a super tight-knit relationship with my dad, but this was the catalyst that started that relationship coming together. It was like the more that I pursued the things that I really loved in my life, and the more that I pursued things that made me happy, the better my relationships with the people that I love got and it was like this kind of like obscure side effect that I started to notice to happen like relationships with my sisters and my brothers and you know my mom and my dad and you know my really close friends like they started to get more real and they started to become more vibrant um and he actually we actually road tripped out here so uh we rode our motorcycles out here he had a a gold wing like one of the it's like a couch on wheels right and um and I had a sports bike. I had a '99 BTR 1000, which is a Honda, and it's
0: rowingly fast. <laughs> and uh, we rode out here, and it was it was great. And I went and did my degree. Nice. Yeah. And then, at what point did Man Talks come about? When did that kind of appear for you? Yeah. So, um,
1: so I I got my degree. Uh, actually, actually, I left my degree. Um, to go and perform in Czech Republic and Germany and France, and I went and perform in China, uh, New York and Toronto and, and with the Vancouver Symphony, and then I went back and finished my degree, and I and I kind of met this cross in the road. Um, you know, from the time that I was in like my late teens all the way up to my mid twenties, I carried around you know this sort of like shadow side or dark side or whatever you want to call it, um, where behind the scenes like I was kind of depressed and it looked like I had this really cool life you know I had like a cool career singing opera and I had a beautiful girlfriend and I had a motorcycle and I had yoga and it was just like all this cool shit and and behind that like I really didn't feel connected to anybody um, I was lying to a lot of the people that were in my life because I wanted like I, I had started to make these great connections and relationships with them and I wanted them to think that my life was fantastic you know, I really wanted to like make it look like everything was so good in my life, because I wanted to keep them engaged and like have them in my life and have them approve of me on some level, and that that created this like barrier. And um, I'd always had an issue with, um, well, just, we'll just say that I had an issue with sex. Um, you know, some people it's drinking, some people it's drugs, and for me it was sex. I sex ruled me. And it was my escape from reality. If I ever felt like shit and I felt depressed, I would find a way to go and get laid, and I would find a way to go and build uh, a connection with somebody really quickly, and get into bed with them, and that was it. And it was it was my way of of coping with the sort of like questions that were coming up in my life. With you know, was I happy? Did I want to be doing what I was doing? Was I doing the right thing? Was I capable? Did I believe in myself? Like all of those all of those things that were kinda of coming up. And instead of addressing those, I would push them down or aside and and go and sleep with somebody. Um, and that ruined a lot of my relationships and I hurt a lot of people. And it finally came to to sort of like a, a crashing point. I'd never really told anybody that I was struggling with it. None of my friends knew that this was going on behind the scenes. My family didn't know that I was like out of control. Um, so I kind of had these like weird close relationships that were like very distant, right? Like I would let them get close, like I would make the people in my life open up to me, but I would hold them at arm's distance away. So they never really knew
0: what was going on for me. At what point did you realize that? Like it seems like that was kind of a problem for you for a while I and mean, probably was happening in subconscious level for a while. Uh, at what point mm-hmm. did you have that awakening and realization and what really like triggered that to kind of come to your frontal look and be like hey this is something I really need to look at in deeper yeah. depth um, I mean unfortunately it was it was bad choices and
1: circumstances um, I would love to say that I like consciously pulled my head out of my ass one day and like woke up and was like oh, I need to change um, I knew that I needed to change but I felt so out of control that I felt like I wasn't capable of it. And like most people that, not that I had an addiction, but like most addicts, and you know if there's people that have had an addiction that are listening to this they will resonate with this, is that when people have an addiction they feel like they can't control it. And they feel like something else is controlling them, whether it's alcohol, or drugs, or gambling or whatever it is, it's like that thing controls them. They don't control it. Um, And I had acknowledged that I was out of control, and I felt like You know sex ruled me and I had no say like sometimes it would just like totally take over and um, it was very Californication-esque sometimes Um, and so I I, you know I kind of knew like after my first relationship my first serious relationship fell apart um, because I couldn't really commit to it Um, not because I wasn't happy or didn't enjoy the relationship but I just didn't want to give up sleeping around and you know, I was like, when I get married, I, I got to stop this. <laughs> that was like my opinion. I was like, I got to stop this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't happy. And so I kind of knew it leading up to um, the sort of like proverbial train wreck that happened in my life where um, my partner at the time ended up finding out, and this is in my later 20s. Uh, she ended up finding out that, you know, I was being unfaithful. And um, she moved at the time we lived in Victoria. She moved back here. Vancouver and you know I had nothing but time and space to think about what I wanted. I ended up quitting the the job that I was working to support the singing lessons that I was taking. Uh, I ended up putting my career as a classical singer on hold because I wasn't really too sure if I wanted to keep pursuing it and and everything just kind of paused. Like everything in my life, my relationship. um, I, I took like a little like I, I remember taking out a piece of paper and, and saying for the next 12 months, I will be celibate, I will not have sex, um, because I needed to feel in control again, and that was that was kind of the moment where everything got pulled back in, and I realized that I, I had to make a change, like if I really wanted to be happy in my life, I had to make some sort of a change and, and get my shit together, um, and... And so you know, it was it was interesting because she ended up leaving and I just quit my job. I just walked in, I was like, I'm done. I'm not working here anymore. And um What job was this? I was working for uh, a retail technology company. Okay. And I was a sales manager for them. Gotcha. And um and then I still hadn't told my friends or my family what had what had happened. I was like I was just in denial and I didn't want people to find out, like I didn't want people to know. And so I was stubborn and I ended up living in my car for a couple weeks because I didn't want to ask for help and finally one night I just found myself like totally just breaking down I just broke down and I was like I'm, I'm done feeling like this, I'm done shaming myself and feeling guilty and feeling like I'm worthless and like feeling all those things. Playing the, playing the victim in the pity party basically, like I was, I was just done with it. And so I called up one of my friends and I uh, told her what had been happening, I uh, said so this is what's been going on the last few years, last like decade, and uh, this is how I've been feeling and, and I don't know what to do, uh, but I need a place to stay because I've been living in my car on Victoria Island for the past two weeks, uh, yeah, in Victoria. And she was like, okay. Uh, Come over to Vancouver and come stay. Like she was living uh, with her mom at the time, and so I went and stayed there. And I just started having conversations with people, like real conversations, letting them know what was actually going on for me. And some of them were painful because some of them were conversations with people that I had hurt, and I had to clean up my mess. And you know, I just started getting real with people about what was actually going on, and that that was the catalyst. And I ended up taking. Um, and I lived out of my car not because I was like flat broke but because I was just so freaking stubborn that I was like I refused to tell people I refused to like go check into a hotel like I I had left my apartment I just didn't know what else to do and so I just sat at the beach and journaled for like a week straight and lived lived out of my car Um, but I started having like these real conversations with people and realized that So many of them were experiencing similar things and I started finding that when I got real with them and told them, uh, uh, you know, vulnerably, they expressed and exposed myself and told them what had actually been going on behind the scenes, all of a sudden I found out that like one of my friends had tried to commit suicide and nobody knew. And I found out that one of my friends was battling with depression and had been on medication and hadn't told anybody, not even his parents. And I started finding out all of these things and it was just like this vehicle of, having real connections with people you know real connections not not these sort of like fake airy fairy like yeah everything's great how's your day great right and like real connections and I ended up taking um, 10 or 11 months to do nothing I well I don't I didn't do nothing I, I basically read every book I could get my hands on I read psychology books I studied CBT cognitive behavioral therapy you know, linguistics programming um Carl Jung, I studied him, Steve Jobs, uh, Elon Musk. Like I just went through the whole gamut. And and I just got curious. And I started asking questions about what I actually wanted to do with my life. What did I want my life to mean? You know, I read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And it was like, cool, if we get to choose what our life means, what do I want to choose? What do I want it to mean? What do I want it to stand for? And, you know, I, I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And I recognized after a couple months of self-discovery that if I had gone through that space, there was probably a lot of other guys that had gone through a similar space. You know, men are four times more likely to commit suicide worldwide. Fact. Uh, That's nuts. Like, That's insane. And, you know, I'm not gonna lie, Like, I went down some pretty dark paths, and not that I ever tried to commit suicide, but it definitely crossed my mind a couple of times where it was like, why bother anymore? You know, like, what? what's the point? Um, and in, instead of... Instead of just, like, dealing... Dealing with it and not doing anything about it, um, and just, like... Sort of, like, fixing myself or, like, working on it for myself, I decided that I wanted my life to be worth something more than that. I wanted it to... Be a space where I could create or build something that um, would help other guys, you know. And not to say that Mantox can't help women um, and and hasn't inspired them or changed their lives, because um, you know tons of women come to our events and they reach up all the time and they say how thankful they are for them, and they bring their brothers after and their husbands and uh, their friends, and it's great. But you know, I wanted to create a space for men to have real conversations. And to put the bullshit aside, you know, and to stop having the, you know, the, the typical conversations about sports and boobs and booze and fast cars when they're, they're fucking suffering underneath, you know, like they're, they're hurting and they're, they're too proud and they're too scared to actually have a real conversation with somebody and say, this is what's actually going on. My business is falling apart and I'm about to go bankrupt and I don't know what to do and and clear it and tell somebody. But instead, they sit there blaming themselves and feeling shame and feeling guilt and letting it run their life and and never make a choice. And, and I wanted to do something about that. So um, I didn't know at the time what it was going to be, and I didn't have a really clear vision, but I just made the choice that I wanted to do something about it. And I wanted to create an organization or a resource or something that could help men out there be better versions of themselves and have vulnerable real conversations with one another so that they can create the legacy and the impact that they want to have in the world right like what guy doesn't want to succeed i have never met a man that isn't like yes i want to live an exceptional life i've just never met them even the laziest laziest guy that i've ever met underneath that he's like yeah
0: i want to do something with my life i want it to mean something you know I totally agree, and thank you for sharing that. It uh, really speaks to, and I think the reason why man talks to succeed is like when you host these events, you really do open up and become vulnerable. And I think that's really what allows, increases space for people to really match that vulnerability. And I'm a huge believer in Bernie Brown and her work on vulnerability. And I think it's incredible how many guys I know that, you know, the things we talk about, it's like, yeah, we don't talk about what our goals or our aspirations are, right? You know, we talk about very surface level things. And it's funny because I've kind of noticed this pattern where it's like, whether in Vancouver, Toronto, women always say there's no, like, men out there anymore, right? It's like, or men are like shit, or it's like they have no ambition, and it's kind of like, and I don't know if it's how it's always been or just the time of our generation and what it is, but, and even with my friends, and I love you to death, but it's like something sometimes I just find what we talk about is not really, like, that depth that we have, and so, like, when I found out what Man Talks and I brought a lot of people there, it's just, like, it really was that place to have some of those, like, real authentic conversations, something that I've always valued so much in my life, Cause I feel communication is what, you know, can really prevent so many problems. When you have open communication, you know a lot of times it's just two sides that don't understand each other. And when you break it down, you have open communication, it really explores a lot of things. And so when you really get vulnerable and real, that's when there's the magic that can happen. And that's really what we've done a great job of Talks is really creating that space for people to be more authentic. Yeah, and I think what I would
1: probably clarify for the guys that are uh, you know out there listening and for the women is that, you know, vulnerability doesn't mean Vulnerability doesn't mean that you need to break down and cry. You know? Like I think that's the thing, is that there's a there's a stigma around the world vulnerability that means that you're weak. And that's not true. I, I think you know if you look at all of the most successful men in the world, like positively successful, um, they they were able to vulnerably express parts of their life, right? Like their failures. Like if you look at Steve Jobs, I mean Steve Jobs was an arrogant son of a bitch most of the time. You know, he was a dick to a lot of people, but he was the first to admit when he had fucked up. He was not afraid to say, "Yeah, I screwed up, and I've made some wrong choices, and I'm going to, I'm going to make wrong choices. I'm a human being. It's part of our experiences that you, you know, if you live a bold life and you chase your dreams, you're gonna, you're gonna screw up once in a while, and, and that's okay, and to not, to not carry around the shame and the guilt that comes with it, right? To realize that you're going to screw up. Um, but, you know, when we think about some of like the sayings that are around men, like grow a pair of balls, um, well, it's kind of ironic that your balls are actually the weakest part of you, right? So that statement, that statement is actually like saying, grow your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like grow that area of you that, I mean, if you look at it, like, those are really powerful things, right? Like, they create life. <laughs> they are also the weakest part of you, right? Like, they're kind of, like, the weakest link. But if you don't understand it, like, how are you ever supposed to use it, right? And, and the same thing is true with vulnerability is you, you need to kind of understand it, and it can be a very powerful thing. And it doesn't mean, you know, breaking out sobbing every time you stub your toe or somebody at work irritates you. It doesn't mean being an irrational child. It, it means having the confidence and the courage and being bold enough to have the tough conversations and pe- be able to tell your business partner, like, hey, I, I fucked up and I lost this lot of money. Right. Or be able to tell your wife, like, I screwed up and this is what happened. Or, you know, tell somebody that you don't want to be with them anymore, even, even though you've been with them for 10 years, right? Because you know fundamentally that you're just not happy anymore.
0: That that's what manning up actually means. That's what being vulnerable actually means. Prior to this interview, I pulled uh, some people that we mutually know and uh, asked if they had any questions they wanted to ask. And one question that came up was kind of in line with what we're talking about right now: is when the idea of man talks came up, did you like um, bounce it off friends right away, or is it something that was kind of in your head for a while and you kind of kept it there for a while? It's like, you know, when that idea came into fruition. How did you, you know, bring it to life? Like, how did that process look for you? Mm. Um, actually, like, the
1: idea came up... Like, initially, I wanted to start a website. Right. Um, initially, I wanted to start a resource for guys. It wasn't going to be, like, a live thing. Um, it was, like, I'm going to build this website. It's going to be a resource. And I'm going to find men to blog for it. And they're going to, sh- you know, share their stories. And they're going to write and, like, tell their journey. Um, and it was going to be, like, this cool resource. And I was, like, out to replace, like, GQ and Maxim and, and, you know, men's health and shit like that because there really isn't a lot of resources online for guys to to grow and develop, right? Like, real ones, not just, like, grow and develop their six-packs or have better hard-ons and shit like that um, or, or please her sexually, right? Like, that, that's what most of those mainstream things are for. Um, so initially, I wanted to build a website, and and it was interesting because I started talking to people about it and i was like hey i want to create this this resource so i didn't keep it in my head um I, I really truly believe that if you think you have a good idea you need to, you need to tell people about it um you just you just do and don't be scared of people stealing your idea if you're meant to create it you will create it right you're, you're not holding the patent um to the world's
0: you know Final problem that you're gonna all of a sudden solve world hunger and peace and somebody's gonna steal it. And the other thing that I really respect about Elon Musk is it's also you know that not being selfish with it. It's kind of like if you are gonna solve a problem, it's just like you want other. If it's truly a problem, it's not about you getting credit for it and you solving it. It's about us just fixing that problem, right? Like, and the way he's like open source all like the Tesla patents and even like like, the Hyperloop. It's like you know at first he wasn't gonna go behind it, but he's just like, here's the idea, and I want somebody else to execute, right? And it's really not about being selfish with it. Just really kind of, you know, there's an issue and it needs to be addressed. And we just need to get people behind us, what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. And so from day one, I wanted the idea of collaboration, community, you know, that brotherhood. Like I wanted that to be embedded into Man Talks. And so I I actually got a group of eight guys together and just put the idea out. I was like, hey, I want to create a resource for men to grow. I want to create, like, you know, in some people would call it a personal development company for men but I was like I want to create a space for men to grow and connect and all, all the guys that I reached out to and talked to were like fuck yes that sounds amazing where do I sign up how can I get involved and so we actually had a round table discussion and, and talked about it and we talked about the logistics of like building a website and that kind of stuff um, and I didn't know jack about building a website like I didn't know a thing. I didn't know where the bloggers were gonna come from. I didn't know like, about servers and hosting, like I knew nothing. Um, so it was just like me putting out this great idea and I just had, I was full of passion, right? I was like, I believe in this. And so I started building that slowly but surely and I like, bought a domain name, uh, which was so lame and I'm so glad that I didn't build it. And then um, one night I was having a conversation with Kelsey, my partner. And her and I were just discussing the, the idea, and I was like, you know, there's, like, my intuition, my gut is, is telling me that this website is not it, but I don't know what else it is. Like, I don't know what else to do. And she's like, I kind of feel, and I had touched on this idea of having, like, an event before, but I'd always backed away from it. And she's like, well, you brought up this idea of having an event. Like, you have a degree in music, you've been on stage a ton around the world, what's wrong with putting on a live event? I was like, nah. Maybe, yeah, that sounds pretty good actually and and then, and then the more that I sat with it, the more that I thought about it, the more that my my gut was like, yeah that's that's it like that's what you're supposed to do, um and then I bounced that idea off the group, and they really liked the idea, um, and you know the the funny thing about collaboration is that everybody has their own opinion about what you should do, everybody right, and you know some people wanted to do a retreat and some people wanted to, um, do like a long program. And some people wanted to uh, have like a men's weekend or, you know, some people wanted to make the event men only. And, and I think what was cool was out of those conversations, I got a very clear vision of what I wanted to create and, and a very clear vision of, of not what problem we're solving, but what value we're offering to people and how we can actually make a difference in the world. Um, and it just kind of evolved out of that. So I, I encourage people, if you have an idea for what you want to create, go and talk to some trusted people. Like, go talk to your mentor, go talk to a friend that, that you think could add value to, to the idea, and, and get it out there, because it's going to help you shape and mold what you want to create, um, especially if you're a visual thinker like me. Like, I just, I need things to be on whiteboards
0: and out in front of me, and I need to see it, right? So I, I would say absolutely get it out there. I watched the interview you did with Vancouver Real today and one thing is said in that interview your plan was to do one event for Man Talks you yeah. donated all the profits to charity and that was it you were going to do one and that was it yeah. but you said you got a lot of responses and emails in the next 24 48 hours and you're like we well, got to do another one so like what's the plan originally just to do one and that was it and then what kind of propelled it to keep going to what it is today
1: yeah so we were going to put on the event and then maybe look at, at trying to launch the the online component and like you know have the blogging series like for some reason that was so like totally set on it um, and I think it was for the wrong the wrong intention uh, and so we put on the first event and it was it was at ing direct which is now tangerine it was at a financial institution of all places um, and there's four speakers and I think like 43 people showed up um, and we raised you know I think it was Five or six hundred bucks for for charity it was all by donation, and some of the guys like I mean all of their stories were incredible, and they all did an amazing job of sharing their life in a really authentic way, and not that they like broke down crying on stage. None of them did actually, but they shared vulnerably about like their up you know how they grew up and how they started their business, and you know the the challenges that they faced in being a father or um, you know, having a, having a business and um, and trying to have a relationship at the same time, right? And the funny thing was that after the event happened, I was like, man, that felt amazing. That felt so good. And uh, I'm so glad that we did it. And he was sort of like, wipe my hands. Like, that was awesome. That was three months worth of, worth of planning because I'd never put on an event before. Uh, three months worth of planning. Feels good. And, and now I don't know what to do. Uh, and it was funny because I got home and and we were all you know my partner and I were kind of chatting and and I started getting emails, and Facebook messages and the next day I woke up and I I probably had like 10 10 emails and Facebook messages from from various people and the the response was just incredible Um, guys were just like I've been looking for this I wanted to connect with guys like this and I want to have those types of conversations and I learned so much I went home and like the one guy wrote me and he was like I went home and had the most real conversation that I've ever had with my wife in the ten years that we've been married. Mm. And and he was like, I've, I've never felt so connected to her. And I was just, I was taken back by it. And I was moved. Like, I literally, I remember sitting in our living room that morning, I'm like drinking my artisanal coffee, and I'm reading through these emails, and like, I was... I was just, I started tearing up, you know, and Kelsey came out and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like drinking coffee and, and like I got tears rolling down my face and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, the response from this is amazing. I, I did not expect that. And, um, and so many of the messages said, you need to keep doing this. You need to do it again. You need to do it again. So I was like, okay, if, if you think I should do it again. Um, and I, just to go back to what you said about Elon Musk, you know, and that idea of it's not about you, like Mentox is so much bigger than me it's not about me Um, Like I I learn and grow absolutely I benefit from it by my my own personal growth absolutely but it's so much bigger than that and it's not about me it's about other people Um, and creating
0: something that's not about you is one of the most rewarding and powerful things that you can do how important is Kelsey, your girlfriend, to this? She seems to kind of be a bedrock in your life and has been very supportive, and this is something that one of the colleagues wanted me to ask, is like, how important has she been in the development of manitoxin being mm-hmm. a support system for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm a very visual learner, and I need to, like, bounce things off with people, and she has definitely been a huge part of that, because I trust her. I mean she's got very sound judgment and a lot of the times our, our intuitions are right in line with one another. And, you know, she's been instrumental in me like kind of how I've been directing the ship or steering the ship. Whenever I have like a really important decision to make, I will go to her and I'll bounce off the ideas and, and I'll and I'll kind of like get it all out and she'll say her piece about it and It gives me the space to reflect on on what's actually there for me. Um, I do like internalize and internally process things but I work really really well with with saying things out loud to people, having them repeat things back, give me their own input, give me their own ideas and you know her and I have different different ideas of what should happen with Mantox Um, and she trusts my judgment and um, you know some of the ideas I take um, and I'll use and you know a lot of the ideas uh, they, they don't fit um, but she is a catalyst for sure um, she she really is a rock because you know she gives me that space to go and brainstorm and reverb ideas and she you know holds a space if I'm like freaking out like if we're not selling in a, you know the, the, we're not filling up seats in an event and I'm like fuck nobody's going to show up to this thing um, she's like, yeah, people are going to show up, you just need to calm down. <laughs> so she's, she's really great. Um, she's also good at holding me accountable to the things that I say. And she kind of reigns me in a little bit, which is good. I am I'm a really sometimes too big thinker and I'll have like these super grandiose dreams and ideas of what I want to do um, without the infrastructure there and without the connections. And I'm like, yeah, let's just go do that. Like, let's just go action that. Like, let's have like this international summit with like thousands of people and these speakers to come in, and and then let's do it three months from now. And she'll be like, okay, is that realistic? Like, could you actually do it three months from now? And I'm like. No, probably not. Okay, yeah. Let's let's think
0: about this realistically. Is your Elon Musk? You mean, yeah, you like I need mean, this done in three months. But right yeah. now, it's just like it is so not realistic to get done that time frame, right? Yeah, like you got to be. That's one thing is being realistic. Where your goal sometimes is so key and critical. Totally, totally. So, um, so yeah, she's definitely she's my sounding
1: board and she's my rock when I when I need to. Uh, I call it brain dumping, right? Like sometimes I'll have literally 20 different ideas of what we could do to expand and grow and have a positive impact on men's lives and and Help help men and support them in in building the type of life that they want And because I'm like so passionate about it I'll kind of get lost in that space and I'll just go to her and I'll literally say I need to bring them and she'll be like Okay, cool, and I'll just like word vomit it out You know, I'll just like share all of my ideas and then usually at the end of the conversation I'll take two minutes and I'll say okay so the first three things that I said I know aren't going to work and I'll kind of like weed out the conversation I'll like I'll weed through the conversation I just had and pick out the things that are really relevant and then we'll talk about those. Um,
0: so she's really helpful for that. Sounds like it. Yeah. Let's uh, shift gears here a little bit. One thing I was always ask in your podcast is what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? And I think this is a great question and I want to throw this back at you what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind for yourself? Mm. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's such a great question and I think my legacy, again, it's my legacy isn't about me. Um, my legacy is, a, uh, what I hope my legacy is is that I can inspire other guys to live the types of life that they ultimately want to live to be the best men that they can possibly be whether it's in their relationship or in their health. That That is what I ultimately hope that my legacy is. And you know if if they don't if they know my name or don't know my name is completely irrelevant, but if I can create the space for them to grow and be more connected and and live healthier and happier lives, that's what I hope my legacy is uh, at the end of the day it's, it's like I said, it's not about me it's really about them
0: um yeah interesting one thing that happens at man talks events for people that haven't been there is there's three speakers and connor will always ask questions and i you do a great job asking some really challenging questions what i really like is that you lead by kind of you know opening up and kind of creating the vulnerability for people to kind of express their true feelings how important do you feel that is in kind of creating that space Cause it seems like you always set the bar mm. by just kind of like being as real as possible. And I think that's really a key component really allowed the events to succeed and have a different kind of character from what is out there already. Mm. How important do you think that is for your success you guys have had? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because, again, that's something
1: that's kind of evolved. Um, it's something that I, I did for the second event. Um, the first one, I didn't really do it. I did like, the very, very first one. Yeah. And the second event, I wanted to be more involved in my my mentor Philip McKernan, he uh, he kinda of pushed me a little bit and said, you know, you should you should step out into the not in the limelight, but you should step forward more. Like there's people there that are there to h- see you and they're there to hear your message. And I actually hadn't even thought about that. And so it's something that started in, in the in the second event and I asked some questions and and you know kinda not buried my soul but you know opened the kimono as they like to say in the corporate world and and, uh, and got real and and realized that it was an integral part and it became a really crucial part of what we do with Man Talks, and you'll probably see a little bit more of that um, now that I'm stepping fully into that space it's something that I, I really enjoy and that I want to keep doing and I'm I'm gonna be doing my own mentorship program next year it's something that I I really want to work on Um, but you know within the events they're they're key because I think you know leadership if we look at leadership right um, leadership is by definition just to kind of be like defining things for a moment leadership by definition is social influence and if I want any hope and help to to sort of spread the message of what Mantox is and what we believe in I need to lead by example and I need to be the one up on stage um, getting real and having the courage to have the tough conversations and to talk about the challenges that I've had in my relationships or to talk about the struggles that I've had with, you know, guilt and shame and, and you know, de- battling with depression and having ADD as a kid and, like, all those types of things. Like, I need to be the one that, that steps up and, and does it.
0: And if anything, you, you'll probably see more of that moving into into the new year. You mentioned mentorship a little bit ago. Who has been one of the most influential mentors in your life, and mm. why? I kind of have. I have two for that. Um,
1: so one, uh, my my first one was a, a man named Bernard Turgeon, and Bernard was um, he's actually an inductee to the uh, Canadian Classical Hall of Fame, which I didn't know existed until he told me he got inducted into that. Um, but he. I called him. Uh, I called him my my white Yoda, and he is he's now eighty three, um, and he was my mentor. Uh, the very first program that I ever did when I sang um, in the Okanagan, uh, and I sang like my a lead role. He was he was there, and he was one of the voice teachers. And he had this really unique way of being encouraging, um, but just believing in me. Like he just. Like, when he would look at me and when he would talk to me, it was like every part of him just believed in in my capabilities. And he just um, instilled this instilled this change in me that showed me that I actually could believe in myself and that there was value in believing in myself and that if I wanted to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish, that I needed to believe in myself. And he really started that. And he... Was there with me through all of this? Like he, we worked together. He was a master uh, practitioner in neurolinguistics and NLP, and I worked with him a lot on, um, you know, through some of my own stuff, but also with singing lessons, and because um, he was a singer as well, and he had a very very long career before he retired, and he also taught me a lot about NLP, and we worked together on that. Uh, so he was my first like real mentor, and then more recently over the last couple of years, uh, Philip McKernan. Uh, he spoke at the very first Man Talks and the IMG Direct. I had no idea why he said yes to come and speak. Like the guy, literally, I think it was three months before coming to speak at this event had been on stage with Richard Branson, and I was like, I literally was, I did, I didn't ask him the question um, until much, much later. Um, but I asked him to come and speak and, and to close out the very first event, and he said yes. And I literally drove home, being like, "How the fuck did this guy just <laughs> say yes to? Like, what the hell?" How did you meet him? Um, through friends of friends. Like, I okay, gotcha. Kelsey uh, Kelsey used to work for Awesomeness Fest, and he'd spoken there, and she knew him. But uh, also, some of our close friends uh, knew him as well, and had worked with him, uh, and had gone through some like his his uh, mentorship program, Everest. And um, and later on, I, I actually did ask him. I was like, "Why did you even come and speak at that very first one?" And he just looked at me, and I won't even try and do the Irish accent. And he just looked at me, and he said, "Connor, I just fucking believe in you. I just believe in what you're up to, and I believe that you're gonna change a part of the world." And I, I was like, "Okay, that makes sense then."
0: Fair enough. And, um, so so that that was that was pretty encouraging. Yeah, rightfully so. I yeah. like that, that, I just want to say to Bridger and saying I believe in you and yeah, yeah. not I awesome. was like, okay. So be it. Yeah. I do want to be respectful of your time, so mm. we're going to wrap up. But I do want to ask some uh, rapid-fire questions, kind of change the context a little bit before we go. Do it. There's a few questions that audience members wanted to ask, and so I'm going to get into that. Uh, what is the next step for Mantox, and what is the ultimate goal?
1: Uh, so we're expanding. We're going to be launching in Toronto in April. Of two thousand and sixteen, um, we are looking at launching in Los Angeles, New York, and Australia as well next year, um, and we are going to be having um, mastermind groups as well in all of those cities. Uh, so we're launching a mastermind group in January for it's a year-long mastermind here in uh, Vancouver, and the the long-term vision is to is to create better lives for men, like you know better mental health, all of that. In terms of like the sort of like quote-unquote business side of things, what's the long-term vision? Honestly, to have it in major cities around the world um, and to have a conference where the, the best and the brightest can come together and openly share about how they got there. Like, I would love to have Elon Musk one day. I would fucking love to have him on stage talking about you know, building three companies, going through divorces and having real conversations because that guy would change lives. So that's the vision, have it it international. What is
0: Socialpreneur?
1: I think that's a new thing you've spun off. What is that? So Socialpreneur, um, for anybody out there that knows about Entrepreneur Organization, EO, Socialpreneur is like EO, it's a high-level mastermind group specifically designed for social entrepreneurs, Um, people that run not-for-profits, charities, uh, and then businesses that are for-profit, but profit for a purpose. So companies like Change Heroes, uh, 10 Trees, 10 Trees is a clothing company that when you buy a t-shirt, they go and plant 10 trees. So companies that are using innovation to give back to the world, to be resourceful and uh, find new ways of, of you know, using renewable energy and um, just basically being socially conscious like giving back to people, giving back to the world in any way, shape or form. So it's a network and uh, a mastermind for them what is your favorite movie <laughs> my favorite movie oh man um people are probably gonna laugh at this but Braveheart all right I have probably seen Braveheart I don't even know like 47 times I used to watch it all the time it's just it's one of those movies that just inspires hope and he just never fucking gives Mal up Gibson, yeah just never gives up and that will be me I was ne- I'm relentless what is something that you personally need to work on that you're aware of in your life person need to work on it is uh work-life balance um, you know, in the last in the last 10 months, 12 months um, I've been balancing a full-time corporate position with Mantox and so I've been working you know, anywhere between 75 and 95 hours a week, depending on the week uh, and so I've, I definitely need to work on balance and you know, now that I'm leaving my corporate job and focusing solely on Mantox and the social um it'll just be about finding that balance and taking to get back into my really healthy routines
0: of yoga, meditation, journaling, every single day. You said there's a point in time where you read a lot of books, a very wide spectrum. What is one or two books that you think uh, somebody should read that are kind of had a big impact or mm. changed your life? Oh man, uh,
1: it's, it's funny I have like different books for different things that they want to solve um, or, or want to grow in different areas but um, the universal book for me, some of the some of the game changers is uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, the Alchemist is a good one. Um, the Artist's Way, uh, not a lot of people know about it, um, but The Artist's Way is a great book. It's it's kind of like a mini program you have to follow with it, um, but that is great because you have to create time to be creative and artistic every single week, and it's freaking awesome. Um, and then I'm going to say, ooh, my all-time, my all-time favorite right now, I've read it three times this year, um, is uh, The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. If you, It's complex and you need to, it's not very long, but you need to read it like twice over for sure.
0: But it, it, it will change some paradigms and it'll change some perspectives for you. Awesome. I will find all those books and put them in the podcast notes for everyone so they can find them easily. Any last words you want to leave the audience members with, or uh, any advice you want to wrap up with? Um, I, I would just say, you know, check us out, uh, man or woman, check
1: us out, and um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me personally, like, my, my uh, email address is on the website, it's info at mantox.ca. Um, in terms of advice, like, have faith, you know, like, uh, I'm not one for advice, but, but have faith that you can turn the corner. And no matter how dark it feels, and no matter how lost you feel, and no matter how out of control you feel, know that you can turn it around. And that starts with being real with people. That starts with having real conversations that are tough, that sometimes hurt um, you and other people. And, And start meeting people and surrounding yourself with people who give a shit about you, who will hold you accountable, who know what you want in your life, and surround yourself with
0: amazing people that's that's like that will change your life awesome thank you for the time today Connor appreciate you being here really enjoyed uh, speaking to you Man Talks is growing so I do recommend everyone to check it out uh, go to the website go to the podcast and if you are interested in keeping up with uh, everything I'm doing go to phillipsprinsky.com or subscribe to the podcast on the Apple store under your next chapter thanks again Connor thank you